0: Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers.
1: Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the medical director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. I recently sat down with my colleagues, Dr. Sarah Armstrong and Dr. Jennifer Gruz, two pediatricians and active AAP members to discuss how the pandemic has impacted their patients. We anticipated that the pandemic and resulting conditions would have an impact on families struggling with obesity. And more and more data shows that this has become the reality with more children having an elevated weight or rapid weight gain. I was able to talk to Sarah and Jen about steps they're taking to engage families on weight management during these challenging times. Stay tuned to hear our conversation.
2: Hi, everyone, this is Sandy Hassink. I'm the medical director of the AAP Institute for healthy childhood weight. And today I'm very happy to have with me 2 wonderful colleagues. Jen Gruse and Sarah Armstrong, and we'll be talking today about obesity and COVID. And Jen and Sarah will be uh, talking about cases that they have seen and been managing during the pandemic. Jen Gross is a general pediatrician at a federally qualified health center in Des Moines, Iowa, and she is on the Section on Obesity Executive Committee. And Sarah Armstrong is the chair of the Section on Obesity, and is a general pediatrician and director of the Duke Healthy Lifestyles
0: Program. Welcome, Jen and Sarah. Oh, so thank you. Thank Thanks for having us. Yeah, and
2: um, I just wanted to start by maybe stating the obvious. Um, Uh, We know that we have been for maybe the last four decades in the middle of an epidemic of obesity, which has altered the baseline health status of a large segment of the population that 18% of our children now have obesity. And unfortunately, um, this has created a susceptible population for the severe effects of COVID-19. So we have the juxtaposition of the pandemic of COVID and the Epidemic of obesity. And I think the COVID 19 pandemic has highlighted aspects of the disease of obesity that have largely been kind of under the radar. Um, it's brought to light the specific pathophysiology of obesity and highlighted the comorbidities of obesity, as well as the complexity of obesity risk. So the pandemic um, has uncovered a large portion of our population that's more at risk for COVID-19 and made us take another look at what's happening to childhood obesity during COVID. And unfortunately, what's happening is not only are children with obesity more severely affected by COVID, but obesity rates are going up during this pandemic. Now, early in the COVID-19 epidemic, um, there was a link to obesity in adults, which bore out into childhood. So we knew that more Children with obesity were getting hospitalized with severe COVID. Uh, We knew that we know that children with severe obesity are more severely affected. When you look at the CDC uh, guidelines for high risk for COVID, you see obesity in those guidelines, but also a multitude of obesity comorbidities, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, chronic kidney disease. We also know that um, our, our vulnerable populations, which are our uh, populations in poverty and uh, from disadvantaged communities, are more susceptible to a COVID infection. And so the rates of COVID positivity are highest among children uh, with the lowest mean family income. And this plays out to increase the vulnerability of these populations. And we know that uh, again, that the risk of death is more than double for patients with a high body mass index, and so severe obesity, particularly among younger patients, really accelerates the risk of COVID. COVID's done a lot of other things to our population. It's increased our rate, the rates of uh, anxiety among patients with obesity. It's increased the rates of worry because children who have obesity often come from families who have obesity, and um, are seeing parents be severely affected by COVID and it's increased the anxiety and worry among these patients. It's decreased economic security and increased food insecurity, also risk factors for obesity. Uh, the Academy, almost a year ago in December, 2020, published guidance around uh, uh, the risk of obesity and COVID and uh, what we should be doing to uh, help all of our patients achieve a healthy lifestyle and focusing on those patients with obesity and focusing on their treatment. We were fearful that children would gain more weight during COVID, and that's actually borne itself out in a study by uh, Kaiser Permanente and the CDC, which showed, indeed, children have gained more weight uh, and are faster weight gains during COVID, and you'll hear about that in uh, Jan and Sarah's cases. So, One more point I wanted to make is not only obesity is increasing. But the comorbidities are increasing and so we've seen rates of type 2 diabetes go up. We've seen metabolic worsening in children with obesity. So this is a time of an inflection point in uh, our increase in obesity. And a time when families and pediatricians are under increasing stress. So, uh, we're here today to talk a little bit about what's happening on the front lines and um, share with you uh, the experience of Jen and Sarah. So I'll first go to Jen. Jen, if you'd like to just introduce uh, your case and we'll talk about that a little and then go on to Sarah.
3: Sounds great. Thank you so much, Sandy. So I wanna share a case with you today of a a young female that I saw in my clinic um, about August uh, for a health maintenance exam. The patient was about 12 years old when I saw them they had immigrated to the us um in about 2017 um and the patient was accompanied by his father and what we saw pretty quickly in our discussion was that um the family had been Affected by the pandemic significantly, Um, the children had been doing online schooling um, since COVID had closed the public schools. Um, And also during that time, they had not been playing outside as much due to safety concerns. Um, And they had been uh, the school, um, not all schools in our area remained online for the um, at the beginning of the 2020 2021 school year. but they were their school was going to remain online. So they were headed back to online school um, as I was continuing to see them. And so standardly we'll talk to families about healthy living and active um, lifestyle behaviors on the using a healthy habits questionnaire. And it became evident that the family had um, been seeing that they had had increased amounts of screen time and decreased physical activity due to the COVID pandemic um, and the fact that it had 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 on all of their lives and so as part of our standard of workup for children with for their well visits, we checked their, the child's growth chart and had seen that we'd seen an increasing uh, growth velocity. So, the child had started to cross percentiles on the weight chart and had been sticking to the. Uh, percentiles for the height chart. And so the BMI was trending up um, fairly quickly. And we saw this, there were a number of children in this family, and we saw this consistently across all the children. Um, and so, standardly, we'll do a workup or evaluating for comorbidities. And so, uh, at a follow up visit, we had the child follow up and do fasting ALT level as well as um, hemoglobin A1C and fasting lipid panel, and saw that the LFTs were elevated, the ALT level was in the um, 190 range. And so we saw this a couple of the children in that family. And so we talked a little bit about healthy lifestyle. We utilized motivational interviewing and brief action planning to set some small goals with the family. Um, and they found a couple of small goals, um, that they wanted to work on 1 of, which was increasing exercise and the family started to incorporate some exercise into that into their routine. And happily to report over the course of we did some stage 1 and stage 2 interventions in our clinic uh, for weight management and had them come back about every 3 months um, to monitor their progress and reevaluate goals and. Partner with the family on next steps and over the course of um, a 6 to 9 month period of time, we saw that the, the weight velocities um, leveled off and the BMI decreased and um, excitingly. We saw the, that that trend down so exciting um, case uh, where interventions in primary care really did impact that family. Um, so, it was, it's great to be able to share that with the group and have a little more discussion.
1: Jen, thank you so much. And there are so many things to think about here. One, just to point out that we know from family surveys that families during COVID did decrease their physical activity, increased screen time, increased snack food, and there was some mild increase in meal frequencies. So we know that these changes have been more or less ubiquitous among most families dealing with COVID. And I just wanted to start out by saying, this is such a family disease, so to speak, or issue. Not only does the family sort of contextualize all these healthy lifestyle habits and the whole family changes, but I thought it was striking that as you're seeing this little one in your clinic, you're noticing the siblings also have gained weight. Not only have, not only have the siblings gained weight, the siblings have indications of fatty liver disease. So I think the attention to the index case, as we used to say, the index case of the child coming in with obesity, makes you look at the rest of the family, right? Makes you ask questions. And since you're in primary care, you have that golden opportunity to see the siblings. And not only are you doing lifestyle change in the family, you're really evaluating the medical status of these other children based on the index case of the child coming in with obesity. And I think that's a point we don't often talk about, but it's so important. So Sarah, do you have any comments you would like to make about what struck you about this case?
0: Well, I think, you know, and and I'll share a little bit in the case I'm going to present, I think so many of these underlying factors that were were common to all children during the pandemic and all of the mitigation strategies that were well-intentioned to help keep children safe um, have really impacted, you know, children across the board, um, both those who, who didn't have problems with weight before the pandemic and children who already had obesity, Um, and, you know, um, we're, you know, already sort of struggling to maintain a healthy BMI before the pandemic. So, um, so it really has, like, across the board. I think, like we said, has has really exacerbated all of those underlying factors.
2: So, I thanks Sarah, and I wanted to also point out time as a factor. You know, Jen, you said it took, you know, over 6 to 9 months. I'm imagining the weight gain slowed and then it stopped and the BMI started to go down and the the ALT went down, but this takes time. And I think sometimes that's hard for everyone. Um, You recognize a problem and you're taking action, and yet there's time has to pass until that action takes hold. And I think it's just a a reminder to all of us that this takes time and that often everybody, uh, it's easy to get impatient and sticking with it is really important and reassuring the patient that Yes, it will happen. It just takes time. Um, and, um, I think just such
3: an important point to me.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Jen, do you want to uh, say anything more about this case or.
3: The thing that I found, um, in, you know, trying to partner with families. And children um, on healthy lifestyle behaviors is that as general pediatricians and primary care providers, we have the privilege of, of building those relationships with patients and families and to following them long- longitudinally. And so I feel like um, all of the work that. We've been doing prior to the pandemic about really recognizing things early and watching those growth charts. And when we see the crossing of the percentiles, you know, engaging in that discussion, um, doing that since COVID was more important because that's when we were picking up small shifts on those growth charts and we're able to partner with families and see them back. Maybe in 1 month, 3 month, depending on their readiness for change and interest and concern. And that's been really powerful because those small steps and changes in my practice and incorporating that that follow up a little bit more frequently has been really powerful to build those relationships and and build that trust with families to help them um, you know lead healthier lives. And so I think we've been doing it before the pandemic, but it really just. Highlighted the importance of doing that, even in difficult times when there's lots on everyone's plates, um, it can make a huge impact in, in lots of families, in particular, the fam- family I just presented. So,
2: yeah, let me ask you this. How are the families responding when you, you know, you're noticing the BMI is going up and you're approaching that? Um, how have your families been responding to you? And how do you, how do you, and what words do you say when you approach the family?
3: Yeah, so we usually talk about um, looking at the growth chart and we talk about what it means. We're putting points on the chart and um, when we're watching to see if they're staying on the lines. It means we're they're growing like we'd expect and if they're crossing lines up or down, maybe they're gaining weight or height more quickly than we'd expect. And and that can relate to children's health and then talking about that um, the BMI being in an elevated range can increase their risk of um, of health conditions and it can and it has an influence on their health and so usually I stop before I get to the BMI part and say um, what are your thoughts about your child's growth chart and and then bring in that part of the connection to health and that's really um, been powerful in helping to talk about a a subject that can be tough for patients and families I mean they've most times then I've been able to gauge where that family is Uh, are there are they concerned about their growth? Um, have they noticed it and they didn't want to bring it up? And so it's really a great opportunity to partner with families and, and figure out where they're at. And so that's usually how I start the conversation and many times families are concerned. They've been worried about that and they wanted to have the conversation. And when we engage in conversations around healthy habits, I think parents are are appreciative of that opportunity to have those discussions and um, and to, to be that healthier lifestyle and help someone partner with them to to navigate the difficult environment we live in we know it's hard to make healthy choices in this environment and taking some of that guilt off parents um, and partnering with them where they're at and saying we can find some few small things that we can do together um, that are really going to help your health and the health of your child because that's really at the center of whenever patients enter our office and families that's really what they're worried about is the health of that child and so it has been a really, and it's been rewarding to have those conversations with families around a tough, difficult subject. That sometimes in the past, I, I without before I learned about the tools, I, I didn't have the tools I needed to engage families the way that I can now, and it's really rewarding.
2: Yeah, Jen, so important. And um, I, you know, I, I've heard uh, many pediatricians saying that if they say during this time of COVID, people are having struggling with their lifestyle and struggling to stay healthy, and just trying to contextualize it again. Just like you said, trying to take away some of the blame and guilt and just approach it. Um, in a way that says, yeah, this is, this is a, this is an issue for many families and we are concerned about. You know, our children's health, so thank you very much. Sarah, did you have anything to add to this uh, the conversation on this case before we move on to your case?
0: No, I I really appreciate everything that's been said, particularly hearing Jen, how you approach that conversation with parents. I think that is. One of the most challenging parts of weight management is to help kids know that we you know, love them just the way they are, and we don't want them to change, but also pointing out areas where we are concerned and worried for their health. is It's a tough conversation, no doubt about it.
2: So, Sarah, let's go on to the case that you brought for
0: us today. Sure. Well, the, the case that I brought is, is fairly typical of a lot of cases that I'm seeing right now in the tertiary weight management clinic. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, um, you know we're seeing kids that already had obesity before this horrible thing happened. So the patient that I that I just thought was a good example is a, a 10-year-old um, boy that I've been seeing for a few years in the weight management clinic, and his body mass index has always been kind of between the 120th and 140th percent above the 95th, so sort of class two obesity is where he's hovered and. He has a family history of obesity on both sides, um, and there is a family history of type 2 diabetes as well on both sides, including in a grandparent that lives at home with them. So he's really seen sort of the effects of, you know, having to check your blood sugars and give yourself insulin, and he knows what that looks like. Um, So that's really a goal for them, is helping to prevent diabetes. And, you know, uh, when the the pandemic hit, um, well, I should say even before that, you know, just in terms of how he was managing before the pandemic, um, you know, he really they really wanted to do lifestyle and work on that. They, want, they, didn't really, they weren't really interested in medications or, or other treatment options, but they were doing a great job at it. He's a very active, athletic little guy, um, and he was involved in a whole bunch of team sports, um, loved PE class at school, was very active at recess, had lots and lots of friends. And so really was able to kind of manage um, his, uh, his high BMI through lots of physical activity was sort of how he was dealing with it. So then the pandemic started and his school, like many others in North Carolina, went remote for the year. And I didn't see him for probably about 18 months. It was a good long chunk of time before before they even felt comfortable coming back in. Um, And um, during that time, one of the the grandparent that was living at home with them um, got COVID um, and passed away with the disease, given the underlying obesity and diabetes and other risk factors we knew. So that even kind of heightened the whole family sort of worry about him and his future health, even as, as a 10 year old um, at the time. And um, and unfortunately, al- along with the school shutdown, um, his all his activities got canceled. So all his sports and his, you know, all of the ways that he was coping and managing to maintain his BMI really just like overnight um, vanished and when i saw him back after not seeing him for about 18 months he had gained 50 pounds and his body mass index was now at 145% of the 95th percentile so class 3 obesity you know a real sharp uptick um and they had had you know they they obviously didn't go see dr gross they had seen their 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 local um family medicine doc who i'm sure was expressing concern in their own way, um, but what the family felt was a lot of judgment and blame about this this um, this drastic weight gain over this period of time. Um, the child felt um, shamed for the weight gain, and unfortunately, the parent, also the mom that had brought him to see me again, um, felt really like she wanted help and was asking for help, but but felt like you know she just was feeling like being made to be responsible. For what had happened um, and for that for that weight gain. And so they were really, um, I think, feeling some, um, you know, some of that bias and stigma, unfortunately, that get in the way. And, and 1 of the ways that I, you know, when I was talking with him that got in the way is that is that he didn't want to go back to his sports and activities, even though they were now starting to reopen because he felt that, oh, you know, people aren't going to recognize me. I'm not gonna be able to be as fast or as strong or jump as high as I could before. And um, and it, he was already starting to see it as schools were reopening, that he was getting a lot of, you know, looks and judgment and what happened to you kind of language, um, you know, that, that really hurt. It was really, really hurtful. Um, and so in the course of our discussions, um, I administered the PSC depression screener because he was really exhibiting a lot of a lot of the symptoms of, you know, social isolation and kind of self-criticism and, you know, his score was positive, so he got a score to 17 on the PSC and so that kind of took us down the road of what needing to also now address mental health. Um, um, his other sort of like notable things on on exam um, were that he, um, his blood pressure, thankfully, was was normal still despite the weight gain. But we did obtain some labs at that time because he hadn't had them for some time, and his hemoglobin A1 c was six point three so not surprising, but with the family history quite concerning and then with the background of just losing his grandparent was you know just really um really pretty pretty terrifying for the whole family um, so um so what we did at that point was really to try and do a lot of reframing. Um, about the weight gain and um, that you know one can't be responsible for a global pandemic <laughs> um and also ch- i shared information with him i don't know if this is right or wrong but about the obesity transnationally that i know about in particular i really like the new robert wood johnson report that just came out on the state of childhood obesity because you can really go state by state and it just feels a little bit closer to home and he was able to see that in north carolina i mean we went from 42nd in the nation to 10th in the nation over a couple years <laughs> in terms of rates of child obesity. And so he kind of was able to say, oh, so it's not just me. You know, this isn't just my fault. This happened to a lot of people like me. So that was helpful, I think, in just reframing um, what had happened. Um, we also were able to get him um, with help of our local endocrinologist started on some medication to help with his prediabetes and help prevent progression there. Um, and we got him in with a mental health counselor um, who actually uncovered um, ADHD as well as some anxieties. So we had both of those um, and we were able to help start in collaboration with his PCP, get him managed for his ADHD, which, which really helped him also with some of the focus and attention. And when I just saw him back um, actually last week, um, he's you know still obviously you know, struggling and coping with a lot of these big issues. However, his body mass index has come down um, a bit since last time, and in part what he attributes it to um, getting back in with his, um, his sports and activities. He felt like with some coping strategies, he learned from the therapist um, about how to sort of. Respond to criticisms, concerns, judgment, judgment and blame that he was hearing. He knew kind of what to say back. He felt a little better armed. To kind of go into those and, and make himself vulnerable in those situations, so he was getting back into his sports and um, and with that, a lot of other things were sort of getting better for him too. So hopefully, we'll see as things open up and kids can get back into things that that we'll start seeing a little bit of a turnaround. But um, but it is unfortunate; he has a long way to go, you know, from from pre pandemic. So um, so yeah, we'll all be rooting for him.
2: Well, Sarah, thank you for bringing this case to us, and I I just think that. Um, first of all, I, I'm always struck when parents come to, to clinics, and this is what I love about pediatricians, because I think we're very child oriented and always sort of focused on what's happening to the child. But I think. Um, it takes a lot to get into a clinic and ask for help. Especially during COVID people are working hard. they may be under financial constraints. Um, the whole family may be struggling and when they show up in the office. I think it's just, I always tried to take a minute and just appreciate the fact that they may have overcome barriers just to get to see me. So something was important to them to be there and to make sure that I tried to really listen to what, where they needed help and what was going on. And, you know, he lived in a perfect storm of stress uh, with uh, uh, his ongoing obesity and family history, COVID, the death of a grandparent who actually lived with them probably the identification of the grandparent that had similar medical problems to the rest of the family. Um, and I, I just think that that, uh, and then the, the fear of coming back. Because of COVID. so it was, you know, a lot of strikes against this young man, and yet they did come back. And, uh, want help and I just think the respect for people coming into your clinic that there's something there. Um, just 1 other point among many I could make, but I was always struck by how underdiagnosed ADD is in our population of children with obesity, Um, because the classic paradigm of ADD was ADHD with the little kid who's running around your clinic, taking things off the walls and off your shelves. And um, I I think it's always um, worth uh, spending a a moment uh, when a child is, uh, having trouble with maybe impulsive eating or in school or uh, being distractible just to, to remember that uh, this is under because it's often a subtle presentation.
3: Um, uh, in, in our children with obesity. So,
2: uh, Jen, did you want to just uh, make a few comments on the case?
3: Um, it kind of illustrates that relationship piece uh, with providers that, you know, I think that when you, um, approach. Families in a non judgmental way. You really work on limiting. Um the weight stigma and bias that patients might be subjected to when they come to see us, how powerful that can be because it's not a it's a journey. And so um you know, partnering with families longitudinally is really important, and just the fact that they return to your clinic after that period of time is really uh, speaks to the power of that relationship. I think too, also that screening for mental health um, is super important. and I think all of us have seen during this pandemic the the rise in the rates of um, mental. Health issues for the children and families that we are dealing with and really being comfortable with screening and and having some great referral relationships with people in our communities to be able to support those those issues is is important in all of our care and especially with, um, elevated BMI as well.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to add that you your are reframing of the, how, you know, the weight gain occurred and that it was occurring not only. You know, among many people, but many people, he could maybe see in his own state, like, just to reframe that for him and start to remove some of that. uh, Blame that that people so often feel. So, Sarah, do you want to say anything more about. What this case meant to you?
0: Well, I appreciate the focus on mental health that both of you have made here and, you know, I. I've often thought, you know, maybe we need to screen every single child that works walks through our door in the obesity clinic um, for ADHD, because I agree and just one additional point to make with that, um, you know, we picked up on it because we do administer the PSC and that can kind of give you a little bit of a a flavor for it. But I do find from just years of treating children with with severe obesity, that it really often does look a little bit different um, than it does in my primary care practice. And in many ways, um, the way that I think of it, of ADHD and children with obesity is the same way that a lot of children with sort of the externalizing behaviors of ADHD are not able to focus on the things around them outside of them. Their schoolwork, parents asking them to do something. Um, Kids with ADHD and obesity, I find many times have trouble focusing on the internalizing cues and so they can't seem to sense as well as others hunger fullness why am i eating how does my body feel um and so sometimes the treatment of adhd i think a lot of people think we you know use these medicines just to like suppress kids appetite so that they don't eat as much and i think it's more than that i really do i think it's about helping them develop an appetite awareness and um so that some of those mindful eating tools we give them um the hunger meter you know other ways of sort of appreciating the food that you're eating and being more mindful can actually be more effective if they're being treated for the inattention symptoms of the adhd so i I think it's an interesting discussion and i I think it it is really important to look for in in this group of children
2: yeah Um, often that child is not the only person who has add or adhd in the family and i can't tell you how many times we uncovered it in a parent who didn't know they had it and if the parent has ADD or ADHD and, it, and is responsible for organizing the meals and structure of the house, um, that, can, that can also be a perfect storm for that child if the parent's struggling with that. So again, to widen your perspective out to the family because uh, treating the child for ADHD is really important, but having a structured home setting for that child to participate in, equally important. So, um, and often, uh, there are other family members struggling. So uh, again, uh, I think this is one of the the challenges, but also I think one of the the things I always appreciated about taking care of children with obesity is that we got to interact with the child and 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 the whole family as a unit and really try to understand how that family was moving toward health. So any final comments, uh, Jen? Any final thing you'd like our audience to to know or hear?
3: No, I just think. We all have a lot on our plates um, and it's, it's a hard time for all of us involved, you know, still in the pandemic and all of the things that we deal with. And so I do feel like that they're even addressing, you know, kind of difficult things can be really rewarding when we're approaching uh, them kind of with these tools. And it's really an opportunity to build our relationships with our patients during tough times. And so I encourage us to. Remember to not shy away from tough things and tough times, but we can do hard things together. So.
2: Thanks, Jen. How about you, Sarah? Anything you'd like to leave?
0: Yeah, I. 100% agree with that and I think in primary care, we have so much on our plates right now. Um, and I think just to remember that, you know, as you're seeing these patients that are kind of coming back and there are these big weight gains to just take a deep breath. You know, there's it's. There's um, nothing that we can do to go backwards in time and change what happened. So I encourage everybody just start where you are, express empathy, help people understand that, you know, they lived through a really hard time and we're just gonna kind of pick up now and try and do the best we can moving forward. Um, Cause it's easy to feel overwhelmed <laughs> with all of the things that we have, plus a child in front of us that now we feel like, oh, you know, where are we gonna go with this? So. <laughs>
2: So, I wanted to thank both of you for being with me today and bringing your cases uh, for our audience and uh, thank the audience for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to my conversation today with doctors Armstrong and Gruce About obesity care during the pandemic also be sure to check out some of these relevant resources. Including the following AAP policy statements and interim guidance stigma experienced by children and adolescents with obesity, obesity management and treatment during COVID-19, supporting healthy nutrition and physical activity during COVID-19, the Robert Wood Johnson State of Obesity Report, and Bright Futures Questionnaires and Screeners.
4: Information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care. From the perspective of clinicians this podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services this podcast is available for private non-commercial use only advertising which is incorporated into placed in association with or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the american academy of pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden you may not edit modify or redistribute this podcast